Well, I want to talk with you this morning, refreshing our minds together of something that we all know very, very well. And that is what must be our priorities in the time that God gives us here at Montana Bible College. So I'd like to ask you to turn with me in your Bibles or on your phones or whatever device you have to Luke 18. And we're going to look at a very familiar parable. Luke 18, and we're going to begin right at verse 1. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Very confrontational statement from the Lord Jesus to his disciples and to you and me. One of two things is happening in your life and your ministry right now. You're either praying or you're giving up. God sustains the hearts of his children through the intimacy and communion of prayer. Always pray and not lose heart. This losing heart is an important matter to our God. You might remember how Paul said to the church of Corinth, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. We are so vulnerable to losing heart, to giving up in life and ministry. God sustain our commitment from our God is that he will keep us from the first step we take in the ministry all the, all the way to the end until we see his face and hear those words, well done. But of course, uh, you know the record that uh, those of you who are preparing for ministry when we come to the end, more than 50% of those who begin end up finishing because we burn out. We lose heart. We give up. For some, God isn't enough for them. For some, the money isn't enough for them. For some, God didn't use them to the measure of their gifts and abilities. For others, uh, God never fulfilled their dreams and visions, and we're going to be talking about that in our first session, but you probably have classes. Uh, For some, their wife wasn't enough for them. Burnout rate is horrible. But our God is committed, and he is sufficient to keep in us every step of the way, all the way to the end. And how does he do it? It's the mercy that calls us that also keeps us. Since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. So why are we here? Why are we here at Montana Bible College so privileged to study with these wonderful professors and hear visiting speakers and read such great books? Why are we here? Why are we preparing for ministry, and most of us already in ministry serving? Is it because uh, uh, God looked at us and said, that that guy is so handsome, that lady is so beautiful, what a personality, so many talents and gifts and abilities, I can really use that person. Of course, that's silliness, and you know that. We're all here for one reason. It's not because of our potential. It's not because of how well we've performed in the past. It's for one reason. God's had mercy on us. Anya said it so well this morning as she introduced her song. It's 
because of God's grace that we're here. And the mercy that calls us to the ministry keeps us. You remember how the prophet Jeremiah wrote those words. This I recall to mind, therefore I have hope. The Lord's loving kindnesses never cease. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I have hope in him. And of course he didn't write those words looking at a beautiful sunrise or sunset on Waikiki Beach. He wrote them when he was in the dungeon, when he was in the stacks, persecuted, ridiculed, and God met him there, and he was his hope. So our God is able to keep us, but there's this warning from the Lord Jesus that we, all, we ought to always pray and not lose heart. It's in the intimacy and communion with God that he sustains us. Well, verse 2, he said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. So this judge is completely void of both reverence and compassion. Three, and there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. So in this city where there's a judge who has no fear for God, no reverence for people, there is a widow. Now, when Jesus says widow, we immediately get the picture, right? Alone, needy, pressured. Where does she go for help? Well, she goes to the judge. Give me justice against my adversary. Now, we don't know whether this adversary is after her life, her money, her house, or whatever. For a while, he refused. So, going on for some time, the adversary coming after the widow, the widow coming to the judge, she has no place else to turn. Help me. Protect me. For a while, he refused. But afterward, he said to himself, well, let's stop a minute. You know, maybe we could have some good thoughts about this judge, you know, some understanding. Maybe he's got a large family to take care of. Maybe he's got a heavy caseload. Maybe responsibilities in the village. But we already know that the problem with this judge is not that he's busy. He's, he's heartless. This judge is absolutely heartless. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though neither I fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. So there's nothing in the heart of God that would move this judge to do anything for the poor widow. He had no reverence for God. There's nothing in his own heart that would move him to help her, but finally came to his senses and he said, this lady's going to wear me out. So finally he gives in to her plea for legal protection just to get her off his back. Verse 6, and the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. Will not God give justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Of course, the key to understanding, interpreting, teaching this parable is asking this question. 
Is Jesus' teaching built around a contrast, or is it built around a comparison? Is Jesus teaching his disciples that our God is like this judge? That we have a God who really would rather not answer our prayers. But if we keep coming and coming and coming and coming, and we get enough other people to come with us, finally God will relent and say, okay, and answer our prayers. That he kind of gets worn down in the process like the judge. No, the point is, our God is not like the judge. He brings justice to his chosen ones, and he brings it quickly. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? We can see Jesus reaching out and grabbing the hearts of the disciples and saying, get the point. Get the point. So Jesus begins and he closes his teaching with summary statements, right? And you know well from Bible study classes that looking at the beginning and the end often helps lead us to the main idea of the author. So in the beginning, you're either praying or you're giving up. And then after painting such a picture of the Father's heart, it's not like that, Joe needs to be worn down until he gives in out of weariness just to get us off his back. No, our God desires to bring justice to his chosen ones, his elect. He brings it quickly. But even though we have a father with a heart like that, when Jesus comes back, will he find faith on the earth? When Jesus returns, will he find those who are walking in obedience? hungry for holiness, serving, giving, laying down their lives for Christ and his kingdom. In this parable, Jesus not only teaches us the importance of prayer, that God sustains us from losing heart as we commune with him. And you're going to, you're going to learn that again and again in the years ahead. He's also teaching us that prayer is the place where God gives us his heart. Prayer is the relationship, the environment in which God changes our heart from the heart of the judge to the heart of the Father. I've known a lot of pastors in the ministry who are as ruthless as the toughest businessman or executive in a large corporation. The truth is, you can function well in the ministry and be very successful and know very little about the Father's heart. God has priorities for us as his children. If success in the ministry was the main point, you've studied the book of Jonah, it would end after chapter three, wouldn't it? I mean, we, what a wonderful book. That's usually the first book we study with pastors uh, overseas. 
it, it's short, get through it pretty quickly, and it's a story, it moves along well, everybody knows it pretty well until you get to the end. But, you know, here's this prophet that God chooses and sends to Nineveh. Their wickedness has come up before me. Go to Nineveh. And uh, he goes the other direction, flees from God, and gets thrown overboard in the storm, gets swallowed by that great fish. And then finally he goes because the word of God came to him a second time, and that's got to be a favorite verse for all of us who serve the Lord. God does come sometimes a second time and calls us again. And he goes. And there's this incredible revival, beginning with the people going all the way to the king. It affects even the cattle. I mean, there is a repentance described in Jonah chapter 3 beyond any other description we have in the whole Bible. It's just amazing. And we come to chapter 4, and there is Jonah sitting on that hill outside Nineveh, watching to see what's going to happen, still hoping that God will destroy his enemies. And he's so angry, so angry. He's suicidal. God comes. God begins to ask questions. What does Jonah say? I knew you were going to do this. I knew you were going to do I knew what you were like. He had read Exodus 33 and 34. This God of incredible mercy and compassion. I knew that you would do this. That's why I didn't go. And Jonah is so angry with God for having mercy on his enemies. God reveals Jonah's heart through those illustrations of the the plant that shaded him and the worm that ate the plant and the hot sun and on and on just reveals Jonah's heart. And we see ourselves in the book of Jonah. After every training where we've studied Jonah, as we close the, the week with, uh, what did God do here this week? There's pastors weeping. I'm so like Jonah. My heart is like Jonah's. I need God to give me a new heart. And I'll never forget a time in Vietnam where there, there's terrible, terrible persecution in Vietnam. It's one of the worst countries in the world, actually. And uh, we had this little guy, even shorter than me, named Min. We called him James. He wanted us to call him James. We'd be glad to call him Min. But he's weeping at the end of the time. And they would go up into the highlands from uh, Ho Chi Minh City and uh, plant churches and teach pastors and do evangelism. And the communists always pressuring them, hauling them in for interrogations, beating them. It was just relentless. And he said, I hate them. I hate them. And then he said, I'm a Calvinist. I'm praying that every one of them is condemned to hell. I hate them. Broken. Weeping. Weeping. And then when we went back the next time, he told us how he and his brothers had begun a 
rice ministry among widows in the central highlands of Vietnam. And this was a compassion we'd ever seen in this guy with a, such a hard heart. And uh, many people coming to Christ through their outreach of helping and providing, giving. This man's a changed man. We know from the book of Jonah, this is hard for us to get, and it's going to be harder for you in the years ahead. God is always more concerned about what he's doing to us than anything he's doing through us. I just came home from Singapore a couple days ago. What a fascinating country. I mean, it is so wealthy and so beautiful and so successful and so safe. I mean, a woman can take the, uh, the metro 2 o'clock in the morning without one concern for her safety all by herself. Just an amazing country. But no place in the world is there the pressure to be successful like Singapore. And uh, the, the, if you've read about students in Singapore, you, they, they, the competition for high grades starts when they're in the very low grades of primary school. And uh, we talk to them about these things, and they can't get the concept who we are along the way is far more important to God than anything we accomplish for him. You, you do know that all of the Christian life is about becoming like Jesus, isn't it? From the moment we're born again, the Holy Spirit begins that work of conforming us to the image of Christ. And uh, until we see his face in glory, the process just keeps going on. That's what God's about. He will do through us what he pleases. His biggest concern is who we are in the process. What are we like? Prayer is the relationship, this intimacy and communion that the great eternal God privileges us to share with him. This relationship of life and fullness into which we are invited with the one who rules in his sovereign power and glory over all things. He calls us to this intimacy and relationship. And in that place is where he not only sustains us, keeps us, but builds his heart into us. That ongoing process of our heart being less and less like the heart of the judge, more and more like the heart of the father. You remember how Paul said in 2 Corinthians, and it's at a wonderful place, probably my favorite book, 2 Corinthians. It's, it's, it's like a, a valley between two mountain peaks where we go from the hope of the new covenant to the ministry of reconciliation committed to us. But in between, Paul says, it's like we're looking into a mirror at the very face of Christ. And while we're looking into that mirror, the Holy Spirit is transforming us from one stage of glory to another until we become like the one we behold. 
God wants to transform us into the image of Christ. He wants to build the heart of the Lord Jesus into us. And when there's so many papers to write and books to read and working to make money to sustain ourselves along the way, it's this time that gets lost. When we're honest about it, if we, we just talk about the large subject of prayer, every one of us has a prayer life that is so weak and inadequate. We get squeezed. And that's one of the first things that goes. And we all struggle in this area. We don't have time to sit in front of that mirror and gaze into the face of Christ. We just don't have time to do it the most important thing. It's a place of transformation. It's a place where our God builds his heart into us. Because he's far more committed to who we are than anything we accomplish. Well, I'd like to take just a moment and be quiet before the Lord then I'm going to close in prayer and finish right on time, but I'd like for us to just have a moment of quietness and pray, not out loud to each other, but just listening to the voice of the Lord and tell the Lord that you desire this relationship, you're hungry for this process, and to keep reminding you to be called into his presence, that place where we are changed and our heart becomes like his heart. Thank God for the relationship. Tell him you want it more. Ask him to make it the highest priority of your time and your work. Let's take a moment, then I'll close. Father, our hearts are overwhelmed and also filled with awe and wonder that the God of creation, the one who rules this universe, invites us into such a personal relationship with him. And Father, we want to respond to that invitation again and again. We want it to be the passion and the priority of our life and everything we do and everything that we're about. But Lord, in this, in this place of study, work, ministry, often that priority gets lost. And would you remind us again and again that the reality is we're either praying or we're losing heart. We want you to keep us, Lord, all the way to the end. But we also want to know your heart. We want to own your heart. We want to bring your heart to people. Tell us again and again that this place in front of the mirror, 
the fellowship, intimacy, communion with you is the only place where that can happen. So we pray again, whatever it takes, would you make us like your beautiful son. In Jesus' name, amen.